Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription. Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Smart and Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at SpartanForge.ai. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, Demetri and I, we were joined by Rendell Eric from Iowa. If you have seen the Tether 10 this past year, you'll notice today's guest was this year's winner. I had the privilege to meet and work in an event this past summer, and I knew immediately we had to have him on to break down some whitetail strategy. For this episode, Rendell breaks down his process on how he's been able to fill his tags on buck scoring into 170 and what his plan will be for this upcoming year when he goes after a buck scoring over 200. Love this chat, and I believe no matter where you are located, you'll be able to use these tactics when scouting, placing trail cameras, and hunting the bedding areas. 
So get that pen and pad ready and enjoy this episode. Thanks again, Al, for all the support. We'll see you next week and antler up. All right, everybody. So we are joined on the other line tonight by Rendell Eric from Iowa. Rendell, thanks for coming on the show, man. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, man. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you a couple weeks ago in, in Iowa doing the Teach and Train Tour event. And just uh, so cool to see just how what uh, saddle hunting and everything else, mobile hunting and just social media, how all this stuff could bring people together and, and uh, talk about hunting and just from all over uh, and just have the prep you know, privilege to talk to someone like your caliber, caliber of hunting, a hunter that you are, Rendell. So dude, what is going on as a teacher? You started school. We've been messaging back and forth. You're already in the dog days of meetings all day long and, you know, out there scouting on your phone and couldn't wait to get outside. So where are you at right now in the middle of August, dude? Getting ready to launch my trail cameras out the next couple of days and start trying to get some inventory uh, figured out for the upcoming season. What What do you notice so far uh, the last couple of years uh, when when you're starting to get your hit list kind of drawn up uh, with your for the bucks that you want to go after? Have you uh, pinned down a little bit of where these bucks are going to and like where that fall shift is has gone to? Yeah, I'm doing all the postseason scouting with the bed hunting that I do trail camera data, movement shift, uh, understanding the more mature deer because they're a little, they're a totally different animal than a younger deer is. So you got to kind of shift your mindset into that mentality of an older buck because I feel like they shrink their home core way down. They don't move as far. And a lot of times have the best bedding no matter what and a long line out the food. So sometimes they shift, but a lot of times, they just move into a little area that you just didn't go into, but they, they're there. They just have a little bit smaller home range. So I find that a lot of my bucks I find in the summer, sometimes they'll still be there if they're mature throughout the whole season. Now, what is your trail camera strategy now that you're kind of implementing them a little bit later than, I wouldn't say most people, but, you know, some people have already had them kind of soaking through the summer months and, you know, now it's getting into August and you are kind of looking for that kind of the end of the summer into the fall. Uh, you know, what, how, where are you putting them? Are you strictly doing bedding areas? And then how are you going to implement that strategy moving into the season? Yeah, I don't run a lot of field edges like most people do. I push mine back to about where I'm going to hunt. So I'm catching more of the shift. For my summer stuff, I'm more glassing and from afar and getting inventory that way. With the cameras, I'm pushing them back in the areas I'm going to hunt, transition zones, secondary food sources, uh, exit trails off of bedding. And set myself up more of the fall because I don't want to have to go in there towards season because those areas are a little bit more sensitive. So I'm trying to set myself up early so I have uh, better movement later without my scent being in there. I want it to be as natural as possible. I'm usually not going back in these places till I actually hunt. So once I catch. I'll, I'll check my cards uh, one time before season starts, probably the first week of September. So they'll be out for one month. And um, the August, there's like a week-long period. It's like the 18th through 26th, a lot of guys talk about. Uh, there's like the bucks shift into their home range during the fall, like that fall range, and they kind of scout it out and they go back to their summer range. I think they want to make sure everything's like, so the way it was, they're kind of pre-scouting, and then you'll catch them then sometimes, and then I'll have them on camera or not. Um, I run a lot of soaker cameras, too, so the spots that I postseason scouted this year, I'll just go put a camera in there, and I'll just leave it all season. I might check it that one time. I might not, but it's not a spot I'm really banking on hunting. It's just, just more intel because I got all the intel from last year. So I got historical data, like what dates the bucks showed up so I can see that shift already. So I'm more hunting spots that I got previous experience with. Unless it was really hot when I postseason scouted, I'll probably uh, shift like a cell camera in there because once I get my inventory down, 
um, after that first card check, my usually top eight, ten bucks, I'll put a cell camera in there in the place that I already had the other camera just so I can, you know, stay more up to date on what's going on. I can map wind directions coming out of the bedding and things like that. Sweet. And I, I actually wrote down those dates that you said because I'm looking at my trail cam data spreadsheet that I have created and this past season, well, I guess you would say like last summer during that time frame, the 19th and the 21st were just lit up uh, with bucks moving back in. And actually one of the bucks that was on camera is uh, a buck that my dad shot during uh, the Sunday hunting of Pennsylvania during archery season, which was last year, Dimitri, was it the 14th or 15th or something along I those think lines around that time yeah so it was around that time Rendell, and it, it, it it's fascinating to see because i've i've never really grasped that that time frame i heard that more so to on the last couple weeks actually on certain podcasts so uh it's actually a pretty cool thing to go back and look and see as i was going through some of these data uh photos and what their dates were marked and it was for the like I said, the 19th and the 21st were just lit up for, for some of my cameras back at home in Northeast PA. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, there'll be these week-long line of movements from a lot of bucks and mature bucks. There's another there's another little window that I've been uh, really manipulating and working with, and it's like October 10th through the 16th, I tend to have a ton of mature buck movement in daylight on all my cameras the 175 i shot on public land last year here in iowa i shot on the 11th i have another uh 170 i shot in that same little window too a couple years back so i've been really trying to crack the code to that movement but i think that movement's tied to like early estrus does like some of these mature bucks there you got the first dibs on the does and some does come in the heat sooner. So I think they kind of do their last week of October deal into that. But on that second week of October and they go like they scout their rut range kind of deal. They're checking scrapes. They're gauging like the does in the area. And they kind of know like some does will come in sooner because not all the does come in November. They'll, I've seen bucks on top of does in that last week of October already. So they, it's like they're getting ahead of themselves for the rut, like prepping for it. Yeah, and I think the more and more we hear is that that kind of that second week in October, I mean, a lot of bucks are hitting the ground. Regardless oh, of what front, it yeah. is, you get a little bit of a cold front in that second week of October, like those dates that you said. I mean, if you if you have a mature buck or a good area that the wind is right, I think you need to be in there in that week. Yeah, I agree. Even if you don't get that cold front, I still have the movement on my cameras and stuff anyway. Now, how are you transitioning? So you have, like you said, those 8 to 10 bucks. You want to kind of dive in there, put those cell cameras for you don't have to get in there um, anymore and stir it up. Uh, you know, are you putting those cameras on their near their beds? Are you just kind of on on trails? Is there scrapes that you're finding? Are you doing a mix? Um, how are you implementing those cell cameras to try to catch that movement and get that intel of when you should go in after that buck? I'm trying to get them into that bubble zone I talk about because I feel like when the mature buck or the buck's bedded there all day, he's checking the wind, he can see and like Hill Country, he'll have the thermals, and he lays there all day, and he doesn't see anything. There's like a, a zone. It's kind of like your living room. I think it's like a 100-yard zone. If you're inside of that zone, I think the buck really has his guard down if you're uh, in that last window of daylight. Because a lot of times, those mature bucks, they don't make it more than 100 yards until after dark. So you have to be pushed into that bubble which is one of the big reasons why I hunt bedding areas are for specific buck beds. I'll try to push to that 100 to 80 yard uh, zone if possible. So I'll have my cameras kind of set up on that exit route. And if you know, like the secondary food source, because I think they stage up in those secondary food sources or go to those first, then they move out to the main ag fields and stuff after dark. So the exit trail that's kind of leading to that, through my scouting, I'll have 
the camera set up about where I would hunt or I'll have it on a scrape. Sometimes I'll make a mock scrape if there's not one there. I use like a vine set up with paracord and I just hang it down and I just make a scrape. But you got to put it as close to the deer trail as you can. You want it to be like a natural thing. I'm not really manipulating the deer with it, like their movement to push them somewhere. I'm just uh, enhancing the movement they're already doing just to get intel, better pictures and stuff like that. Nice. So, Rendell, well, let's break down because it seems like you're, you've been very successful early on into the season. And, you know, I've talked to a bunch of people here in Pennsylvania that, you know, they'll consider themselves like a rut hunter and, you know, really yeah. kind of do all that type of stuff. How has that like developed for you to be getting after it? I mean, obviously, a postseason scout plays a huge role into that uh, in going there. But even like now, like your preseason scouting, like you said, you're, you're, glassing from afar you're going in there right now a little bit with the trail cameras and you're waiting for that month here to to soak it up and see what maybe like you said the 19th or the 26th what that brings to you and you develop that hit list you know how has that developed for you to get in there early to put down a, a you know obviously studs there in iowa yeah, I got away from uh, the rut hunting because the bucks are really unpredictable. They're moving with the does. They shift bedding more often. It's really hard to pattern a buck during the rut. So I shift the early season because you got less pressure in the woods. Not everybody is out rut hunting. I'm not a big funnel pinch point guy. I feel like you're just trying to get lucky. I'm going to sit 10 days straight, daylight till dark, in the same spot all day and just hope and wish and pray that a buck comes through. I don't I don't want to do that, man. I want to take the game to the buck. I want to put the cards in my deck, and I'm going to go in there and surgically remove him. That appeals more to me than the rut hunting. And the buck early season is way more predictable. He's not worried about breeding yet. All he cares about is eating and sleeping, and you just have to get in between. Now, are you typically in those early hunts? Are you hunting mornings, evenings? Does that depend on what your trail cameras are telling you? How do you kind of navigate that that early season? So, well, everything in deer hunting is situational. You'll have outliners and things that happen that are kind of out of the norm. So if your trail camera is telling you that buck's daylighting in the morning time, you can manipulate that. But I find... Through my experiences, trail cameras, usually the big mature bucks are already bedded down way before daylight. They'll be back in their bedding areas at 3 o'clock in the morning. And when you go in, you're just blowing them out. So unless you get in the bedding area at like 1, 2 a.m. and then wait, uh, you're kind of wasting your time in the morning. And then you got uh, you got to worry about the thermals. Because in, the, you know, uh, in the morning, there's really no thermal lift it's all just flooding down below you so you gotta worry about that and the buck j hooks into the bed downwind so you have to play the wind just right and knowing the j hook because the j hook changes every day based upon the wind the bed you're coming into it's really hard to crack that code so i'm more of an evening guy almost always uh early season i can see when i'm going in i can get to the tree i can go quiet in the morning, too, you're kind of fumbling around. You can't see that good. Your light's going everywhere. You're Sometimes you're just hitting stuff. You don't set up in the tree right because you can't see your shooting lanes. So the evening time, you can go quieter, slower. You can be more precise. I know the buck's already in that bed if I'm guessing right. I just have confidence that on this wind, that buck's in that bed. And then I can manipulate the wind on how I need to get set up on him and I hope he comes out my way. And it's just a lot easier that way, I think, because I know he's already there and I don't have to worry about getting in there at like one or two in the morning. Sweet. Well, I don't want to just because, I mean, you may or you may not already have your nice little hit list of bucks uh, developed, which I'm sure you already do. But uh, let's kind of rewind and let's talk about your successful season from last year and how you had your game plan uh, and the preparation that went into that and how you basically executed that from last year's buck that you uh, you were featured as the winner of, of the Tether 10, which, um, you know, 10 people 
put in their stories and all that type of stuff and uh you know tethered the uh people there they pick out the the cool story there and you were the selection this past year rendell so why don't you break down i guess from like the moment that you got this buck on camera or maybe you saw him while you're in the saddle and you know what led to filling that tag on that specific buck so the tethered 10 buck i was actually on a 200 inch deer and he was betting in the same draw as the tethered 10 buck and i actually never seen the tethered 10 buck before i was just hunting that 200 inch deer and he was betting in this uh ag land and there was just one draw that runs uh north and south and he was bedded down every time on the north wind but there's only like a little tiny tree line that runs through there that you can actually get in and i tried hunting him on the ground and the trees before and then there's really only like a couple trees you can even get in so i pretty much was just set up on that 200 inch buck i was hunting for two years and then that tether 10 buck showed up and I wasn't passing that big of a deer, <laughs> even though I was on the 200 inch or so I shot the tether 10 bucks instead of the 200. So you didn't like, so you're technically just hunting. You had never saw him before until the day you shot him. Yeah, that's correct. Wow. That's pretty awesome, man. Well, let's, so then let's kind of break down that, that 200 incher that you're after. Like when did, when was the first time you caught eyes on him whether it be via trail camera or in the woods i was hunting in there two years ago and i i seen him come out of the bedding area two years ago one time when i was set up in a different part of that area i see him from afar and then i got him on camera during the summer one time and then I started glassing it, and then I noticed when he'd come out of that draw, he'd go down and get to my camera, and then he would swing way out and around my camera. And he was avoiding the camera. He'd just seen it one time and started avoiding it, which I find happens a lot. There'll be big bucks in an area, and guys won't go in and hop because they're like, oh, there's no big bucks here. But they're just avoiding your camera. Like, they'll shift way off the trail just to go around it. Uh, some some bucks just have different personalities. Some are shy. Some love the camera. So I seen him first when I was hunting. He wasn't that big then, but he was a really big buck. And then I got on a different buck and ended up killing a different buck before I got a chance to hunt him. And then I got him on camera that summer and I decided that I was going to go in and try to hunt him. But um, you got to be really precise. I don't like hunting an area more than once. I might hunt it once early, once during a rut, and once late season. Because I feel once you're sensing there, that buck's going to come across your scent, and then the game's over. Like, he knows you're hunting him. He's going to tighten down his movement. He probably won't move until after dark anymore, which is what happened, I noticed, once I got on him. I hunted him one time, and then pretty much the jig was up, and he wasn't moving until after dark. And then I slid in there for that kind of rut window trying to catch him and then that tether 10 buck came for it came through there such a shame that you had to settle for a 175 <laughs> instead of a 200 oh man <laughs> yeah um i did find uh i did find another really big buck so hopefully this year i'm going to be in there opening day and hopefully i can put the smack down on him He'll probably be bigger than that other buck that I was chasing. Well, did the 200-inch deer, do you know if he made it through the season, or is he going to be on the list again this year? Uh, it actually ended up clear-cutting that draw, so it destroyed his bedding. So he, I haven't found him again yet. Do you use any uh, – I'm, I'm assuming, Rendell, so please forgive me, but do you go out postseason, go shed hunting and all that stuff? I don't shed hunt at all. I want to put my time in scouting. If I find the shed while I'm postseason scouting, I pick it up. But I feel like I'm just wasting my time if I'm just looking for shed. The most valuable time to me is postseason or in season. But the next best time is postseason. I can see all the signs fresh. Uh, you can see really easy. You can navigate the woods easy. So I spend my time scouting because that's more important to me than finding antlers. I'd rather 
put antlers on the wall of deer that I've killed than worry about picking up ones that fell off. Right. So you just brought up a really good point about like that in-season scouting. Any recent hunts over the last couple of years that maybe you had that game plan beforehand where you're pretty, you know, dead red on a plan and you go in there and it's just total opposite, or you maybe had to do a huge pivot to, you know, get the job done. Do you recall anything like that over the last couple of years uh, for a specific hunt? So that tethered 10 buck was actually two years ago. Last season, a year ago, I shot that 175 that I was talking about. And that hunt, um, I did a podcast on. And the story with that hunt is my buddy wanted to go shed hunting, but I'm really a diverse hunter. I want to get really consistent, and I want to be just an all-around, like, the terrain types and stuff. So I actually seek out different terrain types to go scout because I want to learn because I go out of state and you never know where you're going to end up. So I'm trying to get as good as I can at all the different situations, terrains, how they bed different areas. So I wanted to get better at like marsh kind of swamp hunting. So I took my buddy to this um, marsh uh, swamp area and we just were shed hunting and I just happened to cut a set of giant buck tracks. And I'm like, Oh, Cause I'm always looking down. I'm always looking for tracks. A lot of guys don't do that, but I'm a big track guy. I like to find tracks. I look for them all the time. I just notice them even like rub height. Some there's other terrain patterns that you can look at with like vegetation. That's how there's a big buck there. But anyway, um, I found this track and I followed it back to this bay and it kind of ended. And I just noticed that there was kind of a point out there. So I just kind of, notebooked that in my mind and went off with my buddy and we kept shed hunting and then last year in that october i was hunting the first part of the season i was helping a buddy in a different area of iowa it was his first time hunting iowa so i went up there and messed around was hunting up there with him and then the next weekend i came back here and hunted like three days just bouncing around and the funny thing is, uh, my air conditioner caught on fire in the house like Sunday night <laughs> while I was hunting. <laughs> and then I had to have a repairman show up the next day. So I took Monday off work and the guy never showed up in the morning. He never called me and I was getting impatient. And then while I was waiting, I was sitting there e-scouting on Spartan Forge and I was looking at the wind directions where I could go. And I was like, if this guy's not here by two o'clock, I'm gone. And then two o'clock rolls around i was already loaded up ready to go had everything on and the guy never called me so i left and i picked that swamp marsh area to go to that i've seen that big set of tracks because the wind set up perfect for that point that i remembered and then using spartan forge the aerials i scouted my way in and i checked two bedding areas on my way in that when we were kind of shed hunting i noticed some rubs and sign and stuff so i checked those had no action so i just went back like two miles i followed this kind of creek channel thing i actually walked in the water like knee deep and went back and then i was like oh the, this wind the buck's gonna be bedded right here and i was I use my binoculars to kind of glass ahead of me while I'm scouting my way in so I don't get too far in. Mm -hmm. And I noticed on top of that point, there was like a little grove of honey locust trees and they had thousands of honey locust pods. So I was like secondary food source. And then that was about a 80 to 100 yards probably from this thick area I seen in the binos that was in that bay. So I climbed up on this point and then I picked the tree out. I seen one little rub up on the point on this little cedar tree. And I was like, okay, the deer's going to come through that trail. And I found a good tree that had backdrop because I don't like cover in front of me. I don't really care about cover in the tree. I'm more about what's behind me. So I found a good backdrop. I had to be like nine feet high to use this backdrop. And I, I do like a more of a hard lean when I'm saddle hunting. I'll lean way out like three or four feet because I'm six foot eight. So I think it makes me just look like a tree branch. Mm -hmm. 
and I have some video, like I videoed myself in a tree, seeing what I look like from like different angles. So I think that hides me the best. And I side saddle the tree. I don't really hunt behind the tree like a lot of guys do because they have to come around the tree and swing out the chute. I'm right on the side. I'm hard leaned out, so I just look like a branch. I hold my bow the whole time. So I literally have no movement. All I have to do is draw the bow straight back, which your limbs and everything hide you drawing the bow. I set up nine foot, and then that buck came from 80 yards away, came right up onto the point, came straight at me like 30 yards, walked straight to me, turned at five yards, and then I smoked him. And it's all on film. Yeah, I have it on film. That's correct. <laughs> I know that's that's impressive, man. That's the that's the really awesome part about that, dude. I I, I want to ask you a question when you go back to all this stuff, uh, Rendell, because man, it, it just man, you're you're putting in the work. You know, you talk about you know obviously we're not in hunting season right now so obviously you're doing the preseason stuff the scouting the camera work and obviously as the season progresses and you it's opening day and you're hunting a little bit you're going out doing that pre-hunt scouting session what does your what is i guess let me reward that what is your process when you get to an area like you were saying you got to you know that buck's big track and you you followed it out how are you dissecting that area like how long do you spend time in that area to come up with your game plan instead of just marking it and being like oh you know big big nice track and then like continue moving on and you didn't spend five minutes like maybe dropping the milkweed and seeing how thermals will go and the wind and all that stuff so like what is your process when you find that good sign and you think that's where you would hunt and uh or not hunt from yeah, so what helps me out is experience. I've had years of just scouting buck bedding, uh, learning about mature bucks. So I think that helps me out a lot because you kind of know how they act if you spend a lot of time hunting and in the woods and scouting. So for me, it's kind of a fast process. But when I first started, you make a lot of mistakes. You blow deer out, which you have to be okay with blowing the buck out of the bed. I've done that. Like, so for me, I learned more from failure than anything like, oh, I went 80 yards from this bed and I blew that buck out of there. All right. Well, I need to know I need to back off a little bit there. And then I'll um, do things like postseason scouting. I'll actually lay in the beds and I'll look out and I'll see what the buck can see. I'll hang an orange vest in the bed and then I'll walk away from it and I'll see how far I have to be. Um, you can learn to manipulate terrain and try to hide yourself. Hunting low is a big key, too. you got to take that in consideration. If you get too high, that buck is going to be able to look up out of his bed and see you. So you're you're taking advantage of the foliage and the vegetation height early season. So you want to stay pretty low. Um, what else is there? Um I'm just processing the bedding mostly. I'm trying to figure out what wind he's there on. And once I figure out what wind, he's probably got two to three exit trails. And then you're trying to figure out what time of year is he going? What time of year is the bed? Because there'll be early season beds. There's rut beds. There's late season beds. So you got to kind of decipher the bedding to know when he's going to be there. I'm breaking down like the secondary food sources. Even the main food source, if there's not a secondary food source, you could be like, well, the beans are west of me, so he's going to come down this exit trail that heads west. Um, <clears throat> it can. There's a lot of different things that come into play, like what terrain you're in. Sometimes a buck is not bedded on a place based on the wind. Sometimes it's noise-based, like a swamp, like a cattail swamp. He, he'll be in the same bed on multiple winds. It'll just be like a little rise that comes up in the swamp that's dry and he'll be laying there but he's there on all winds <clears throat> so you got to kind of learn about like the different terrain things and out here in iowa there's a lot of like ditch movement there'll be a creek or a big ag drainage ditch and the bucks will actually use those to stay hidden to move so a lot of guys are setting up on field edges and stuff but i'm leaning towards setting up the shoot down into the the ditch 
waterways, like in crop fields, like standing corn I talk about, I see a lot of bucks bedding or using the waterway that splits crop fields. Like you got two corn fields, there'll be a little waterway, or even it'll split like in one field. They'll bed and use those as travel. So there's a lot of different nuances with the bedding thing and buck movement. It's kind of outside of the box thinking. Like I try to get far away from traditional hunting as I can. And sometimes it'll be like an overlook thing. Uh, Last year in Missouri, I was hunting this spot. It was like a 90 degree intersection on a road. And there was a pond right there. And there was a big scrape line. And I can literally see my pickup truck hanging in the saddle and the buck came through five minutes after last shooting light. So if I actually would have adjusted and made the shift more towards my truck, (laughs) (laughs) I I would have got a shot on him and killed him. But, you know, I wanted to keep my wind back on that pond. So I played it too safe. So for me, it's, it's just knowing that window you got to be in and hope you are on that trail he's coming down that day. Like, it's not 100%. There's a lot of sits where I don't see any deer at all. But I'm seeing the right deer when I do see deer, if that makes sense. Heck, yeah. Well, I want to ask you uh, one more thing regarding kind of like Iowa, because I know Dimitri has some other questions and stuff like that. You know, Rendell, what would you say, because you're doing this all on public land. Obviously, I'm at, like, he and I are both outsiders from Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, we don't know anything regarding Iowa. And, you know, when you think about what has, what are three things that has separated you from, I would say, I guess, another Rendell Eric in Iowa? You know, why are you able to get it done on big bucks the last year after year after year recently on public land compared to maybe other people? Um, so what would you say are those three things that, uh, are contributing to that? For me, I think there's no secret sauce. I think anybody can do it, honestly. Um, for me, if I put in the work, man, like I went 200 miles postseason scouting, I'm keeping tabs in the woods. I'm in the woods as much as I can. I'm learning about, uh, just little nuances like the different type of secondary food sources. I'm in bedding all the time. I'm checking bedding. Um, and just my no balls, no bucks mentality. Like I'm not afraid to go in and blow a 200 incher out. Like I'm going to get right on him right off the get go. And if I mess up and blow him out, so be it. Like I'm not letting a 200 incher stretch, uh, stress me out. Yeah. It's just another deer to me. I got a whole list of deer. I don't have to kill like that 200 inch to prove anything. I've already killed a lot of really big bucks. So for me, I'm just going to go in. That first sit is crucial because that first time sit, you see the most deer and you usually see the biggest deer. After that, you kind of let them know the game's on. You know, it's like you're, like Dan Infall kind of says, you're slapping him on the ass and saying, let's go, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he's going to play the chess game with you. Um, there are some things you can do if you do blow the deer out. You can switch to like a bump and dump where you blow them out and you set right back up downwind of the bed. And a lot of times they will come right back into the bedding that day. Or after you blow them out, you go in, you find the bed, you lay in it, you see everything he's doing. Then on the very next wind, uh, you come right back in and you hunt that bed. Because mature deer, they have so much history with a spot. They lived there so long and they have so much confidence in it that they think that they're going to beat you in it. And when you bump him out, you gave him more confidence that that bed worked. And then you're going to manipulate that to get on him. Um, understanding wind and thermals. There's so many little nuances and things, the wind and thermals and all different types of terrain. Just, I think the little details is what sets you above the rest. Like a lot of guys can hear this and know a lot of the info, but there's little situational things that you can pick out and you just gain experience with and you test things out. I'm a big better. Like if I hear somebody say something, I just don't take their word for it. I'll actually go out in the woods and I'll try it out. I'll wind map it with milkweed or I'll watch the thermals or I'll run a camera in that one spot i'll waste the cameras to see like all right is the deer really going to do this what the guy's saying 
So I learned a lot just by trial error, doing research like that. Like how I work on my bows and stuff. So when I, you know, make things go bad, I got to learn how to fix it. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> no. pretty much. I'm I'm more of a hunter first, and all the other stuff second. Man, what? Uh, how much has the? I mean. I want you to, you, this can even go into play to what Dimitri's going to ask you, but like the saddle game, like how, like, cause I remember hearing you talk about like back in the day, you'd carry all this, this, uh, equipment with you and then you change it up with the saddle. And like you were saying, being nine feet off the ground and man, I, I couldn't agree more with what you were saying of like looking like a branch and extension to, of that tree trunk in a sense. And, you know, obviously with your build, it does play a, uh, you know, a critical role in that. That has, I'm sure, played a nice role in getting into certain areas for you that maybe you couldn't get into before. Yeah, especially on like these field edge tree lines and stuff, like that 200 inch buck field edge where I shot that tether 10 buck. The saddle helped me out great because I was facing the right way, the way the buck was going to come in. If I was in a tree stand, it just wouldn't work out for me, right? So the saddle helped me out tremendously in like certain situations. I can hunt out a more tree type. It gives me more freedom just to walk in a place blind. Like I'll I'll go to a place I've never been to before and just go hunt. I'll just scout my way in, and I need to be able to get in any tree. And after you get familiar with the saddle, I can pretty much get in any trees. And some of the stuff I get in, guys would laugh or they'd be amazed at some of the crappiest trees you could ever imagine that I'm hunting in big huge leaners giant cottonwoods I'll even uh I'll strap little willow trees together to make them sturdy enough and I'll hunt like four or five foot off the ground in this willow bunch I made I'll hunt hedge trees I even hunt honey locust trees I got those big giant spikes on them and in a tree stand, you'd be back against them, and they'd be stabbing you. Where with the saddle, I can lean out away from the spike, so I can get away with that. And I run into those a lot in uh, certain places like Missouri and Iowa. There are a bunch around, so I get in them a lot because a lot of the deer eat them for secondary food sources. Um, being lightweight, because scouting my way in, the spot I might, might end up is only a mile or two from the parking lot. But I'll have scouted like six, seven miles. I checked like three ridges or I went down three or four bedding areas. So having that light weight helps me out. I don't get tired out as, as bad. And I'm crawling through some really nasty stuff too. Like all the draws and stuff are pretty thick. And I'll climb ravines. So having that light weight where it can be balanced on my back really good and tight to me. It's not hanging on a bunch of stuff. You know, you get one of those big tree stands on you and four climbing sticks on it, and you're trying to walk through some brush. It's all hanging up. You're making noise. It's throwing you off balance. Like, deer can hear all that stuff. So bed hunting, being quiet is essential. Yeah. Like, moving slow, being really quiet. So just not having that big platform on my back really helps me out getting close to these bedding areas. I just think back like six years ago when Dimitri and I are walking down to this one spot and I had my climber and I just felt like exactly what you just said, like the tree stand was walking me and my bag was swinging and it felt like it was making so much noise. <laughs> oh man, it's just so funny. Like you were just saying that and that just brought back like horrible memories, Randall. No, that's good. No, man, it's yeah. it, it's exactly what you said though. I mean, like when we were in Iowa for that teach and train tour event, like I love how we had people and, you know, you're in that spot in, in the tree set up one way. And I was, I think, sitting and, you know, we we brought up to everybody like, look at our build. We're so different. You know, you, you got six foot eight and five foot seven and we make it work and you can get it in any tree. And it's fascinating. And I mean, I mean, I know there's so many options out there uh, anymore today, but man, it really has changed a lot for for me. And, and obviously it looks like the same for, for you as well. Yeah, and the biggest problem I have with tree stands is I'm six foot eight. So when I'm sitting in the tree stand, I'm eating my knees because the seat <laughs> posts are so low. And the, I would feel like a semi truck ran me over for like a week after I hunted a couple days in a row just because I'm having my knees so far above my hips. 
Yep. It pinches that sciatic nerve off. It's really uncomfortable, and I'd, I'd move around a lot because I was uncomfortable with the saddle. Like, took all that back pain away, all my leg pain. Like, I can pretty much, I can sit 1 o'clock in the morning till after dark, no problem. You throw an MVP or a recliner on you, and you're good to go. Like, it doesn't bother me at all. And a lot of guys say they move too much in the saddle, but I feel like that's a practice thing. you got to be really mentally disciplined, you know, not to be swinging around up there like Tarzan, you know what I mean? Yep, no doubt. Well, and I think, too, like you said, you can get in any tree, which is very important, especially when you're hunting a mature buck. Like you said, it's all those little things that you have to do to make it work. And, you know, how many times have we been out there without a saddle and you're like, well, that's the tree that I need to be, or that's the general location that I need to be. But then you have to alter that a little bit because you can't get into that. Uh, and that's going to make a huge difference, you know, if just something swirls or the wind changes a little bit. Um, and being precise of where you're going to locate in that tree is going to be very important. Yeah, you want to be able to hunt deer, not hunt trees. I got tired of hunting trees. <laughs> like, you have to be in this spot, then the next tree is like 60 yards away, and you go hang in it, and then the buck walks right through where you needed to be, and he never comes in any closer to give you that shot, and then you're sitting there like, you know, you're mad. You're just pissed off at the world because you needed to be over there, but you couldn't be, or you got to sit on the ground or something. I noticed a lot of the mature bucks, they're usually where there's not a lot of trees or they're just all junk trees, so that saddle really gives you the ability to, get into those and um i just really like the flexibility that you get because i can just hunt anywhere like you said i can be if that buck's there i can be there i can even hunt on the ground when i'm ground hunting i'll even hook the saddle up to the tree and i'll use that for comfort so i don't have to be sitting on the ground because as tall as i am it's really uncomfortable for me to hunt on the ground because i'm all bunched up i'm not that flexible so I'll just hook the saddle up and get behind the tree and I can, I'll just walk my feet around. I'll clear the area. So it's quiet when I'm moving and do it that way. And sometimes I'll go in blind and I'll have the saddle on and I'll just be on the ground. There's no trees. I'll be in like a little ditch, but I don't have to worry about having this big tree stand on me and I got to take it off and throw it down or something. Like when I wear the saddle, I don't even know what's there. And the saddles are super durable. Like, I've went through huge briar patches and crawling through all kinds of stuff, and I've never had anything happen to the saddle. So I like how durable the material is. Now, you talked about going out of state and hunting different territories. You know, talk a little bit about what your strategy is going into these other terrain features and other states where maybe you don't get all that intel and scouting that you normally do in your home state of Iowa. You know, how do you uh, go about that? If maybe say you're hunting a new state this year, you've never been in there, you know, cause a lot of guys are kind of getting into that, you know, that want to go, you know, here in Pennsylvania, maybe to Ohio or Maryland or New York, you know, how do you go about the e-scouting into maybe one or two uh, getting your boots on the ground there and then leading into that season? So I would recommend going at least once for a weekend if possible so you can get access down where you're going to sleep, kind of this, get familiar with the basic layout, drive around. Maybe you can run in and look around a little bit. Um, some states you can't run cameras on public, like Missouri, you can't run cameras on public land, so you can't put cameras out at all. Um, if you're just going in blind, like I tag out in Iowa and I'm just going to jump into a different state randomly so I can keep hunting, I'm just showing up and I'm scouting way more than I hunt. I might spend two days straight scouting or I'm scouting all morning long into the afternoon and then I'm going back to the best spot. When I start e-scouting, I'm basing all my my system, whatever you want to call it, I base it all on bedding. So when I'm e-scouting, I'm looking at the predominant wind of the area. You can get on weather underground. It'll kind of tell you what the predominant wind's going to be. You can look at 10-day weather forecast, and it's kind of predicting what that'll be. And then I'll start looking at bedding areas. And once you figure out how to find buck beds and you get really familiar with it they just stand out on a map to me so it's 
which is all terrain based, like hill country, farmland, swamp, it'll all be a little different, but that's why you try to get consistent at getting experience in all those different types of terrains. And then I can be like, all right, I'll have a north wind for three days, which is optimal because if you have the same wind for three days in a row, that buck's going to kind of be set up every day in the same bedding area. So when I scout in the morning, I could catch a scrape a big track, a rub line, and then I'll follow it back and start pushing my way in, kind of scouting in, and then I'll go right back in there in the afternoon. Or sometimes I'll have all my stuff on me. It depends on how far I'm going in. Say if you're in Ohio and it's 100,000 acres and you're going four miles back in there, well, I'm going to have everything with me and I'm just going to stay out all day. If you're in like a small parcel like Missouri, you're hunting like a 400-acre I'll scout my way in, and then I'll leave, go back to the truck, eat lunch, get all my gear ready, and then I'll go in at like 2 or 3 o'clock. I try to go in earlier because I feel like the buck's not as on guard. They're sleeping. They're kind of groggy. You know how you first wake up in the morning? You don't know what's going on. I feel that of deer's the same way. But if you go in too close to hunting time, the buck's awake. He's listening. He knows he's going to move soon, so he's paying attention more. So I like a little bit earlier window to catch them when they're sleeping or they're groggy. You can get away with more noise um, and just go in and go back to the spot that you picked out. And I'll look on the map, and I'll guess where that buck's probably bedded through experience. I'm like, all right, here's a scrape. I followed this trail back that came to the scrape on the field edge, and I'm just slowly moving back, glassing ahead of me looking for rubs and then I'll there's some distance tools you can use on like Spartan Forge or Onyx and then you can have that preset like 100 yard bubble you can if it's really open you might have to be further away so it's just using your knowledge as you go in and I'll try to push to that 100 yards at least if I can get away with it and just go right down I try not to walk on the deer trail because you'll have does and younger bucks that come out first. Usually the mature buck will either be the only deer or he'll be the last deer that moves. So um, maybe I'll parallel the deer trail that I'm going back just so I'm not leaving scent in the actual trail so the other deer can get past me clean. Because I feel like if they blow you up, you know, that big buck's going to wait until after dark. So you got to kind of be cautious of that or I might kind of loop around. And just follow the sign back until you feel comfortable setting up. But a lot of guys don't go far enough. They're worried about blowing that deer out because they don't quite know where he's at. But I like to push the bubble. If I blow him out, I'll bump and dump him or I'll come back on the next wind or I'll just go find another deer. I mean, I'm not scared to not tag out. Like if I eat tag soup, I eat tag soup. Now, is there a certain amount of sign that you're looking for or certain to to say okay, I think I'm far enough, I need to set up here. Uh, just because, you know, is it rubs, is it scrapes, is there something that's kind of telling you, hey, I've gone far enough, it's time to kind of set up here? Yeah, um, any kind of field edge sign, I just pass it up and keep going. If it's sign that's randomly out in the middle of nowhere with no cover, like it's just on a random ridge in the middle of the hardwoods, just keep going, that buck's not going to go there in daylight. I'm looking more for security cover and bedding cover. Like when it starts sticking up or they're bed on that transition line, like hill country, they're on the upper one third usually in that wind tunnel. So it's based on the terrain, but I'm looking for the bedding. Like when I start getting close to where I think that buck's bedded, the cover might thicken up or uh, isolated food source. Like the, you might hit a little grove of white oaks or red oaks. Uh, honey locust, little grove, uh, stinging nettles, deer love to eat those. Even in wet areas, so it might have some arrowhead, duck potato, whatever you want to call it, you'll have that. So if I hit some of those uh, secondary food sources that are closer to the bedding, I might set up. But I, I just know that like 80 to 100 yards, depending on the terrain type, what you can get away with. Like, if you're in open hardwoods, you got to be really careful because that buck can see a really long ways. Like, a lot of times you'll go in, you know, if you go in there postseason and you're walking down a ridge 500 yards away, what do you see? You see all these deer blowing off the next ridge, right? So, 
Right. You got to kind of use the terrain to hide yourself. Maybe come in through a holler or maybe hunt the next ridge over. That's the closest food source. Like in Iowa, Missouri, there's a lot of low-level vegetation, so you can get away with pushing in really tight to the deer more than that hardwood scenario. So I just like to get as close to that 100-yard bubble as I can. Sometimes you don't have to get that close. Um, but secondary food and bedding, if I see a rub line going into a bedding area, I'm just going to set up uh, on that rub line that's going in to the bedding area. But it's got to be within that 100-yard bubble. Nice. What, uh, let me ask you this one. It's opening day or the third day of the season, because that's when that perfect win is on this buck. You want to get after this year, all the stars align, you whack them. you you got your buck down. What are your plans for next? Like for this season, like what are, where are you planning on going? Where, what would be a dream scenario for you or, or heck, what do you have planned then? I guess for, for the season. I'm planning on starting September 1st in Nebraska for two weekends. Then Missouri opens, I think, the 15th. So then I'll go to Missouri, hunt two weekends. And then opening day, I'm going to hunt Iowa. And I'll hunt Iowa until I tag out. I'm not going anywhere else. Cause, I mean, who doesn't want to hunt Iowa? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd rather chase 200-inch deer around than, you know, a 110 somewhere. But that's just me. I mean, I don't – I'm not – I don't care about the racks as much. I'm not like giant in the trophy hunting, but if you have the opportunity to hunt Iowa, I mean, you're going to hunt Iowa, right? Right, right. How do, how so, much how much does that like the, your hunts in September? I mean, I I loved when Dimitri and I went out to Utah a couple years ago. Last year, I went out to Delaware for an early season hunt. I I won. Not only did I love those hunts, just because I spend time with friends and go out and I'm, and try something new as far as hunting goes. But it, you know, it gets the cobwebs out a little bit. It gets you in hunt mode. How much do you think that helps you? Like when it get comes ready, so that like, you know, I feel like if you have two states under your belt already, Rendell, come that opening day for Iowa, man. Like I'm like, not only would you, I think you feel confident, even if you did not go. But man, you just almost got to feel so much more confident because I know I did even a couple years, like the past two years, because I've done a hunt before the Pennsylvania opener. I actually think it's huge for me. It gets me in the mindset. I everybody adds new gear every year or a new bow or a aider or something in your system. It gives me time to use my system and a in the real woods, like a scenario where I'm actually hunting, there might be something I don't like that I need to get rid of or I need to adjust and switch back to. Right. So I'm testing, I'm testing my system. Like it might work great in your backyard, but when you're 80 yards away from a big buck in another state somewhere, it might, it might ruin your hunt, blow him out, or you might not like something because, oh, I can't move up the tree as good. So it gives me time to iron out my system. I knock off the rust. I think, I have more, I can, I'm more dangerous, I guess, early because I don't care if I blow the deer out as bad because I, I know I have time to come back. Like I have that ultimate no balls, no bucks. Like I might try to get within 50 yards of this buck. You know, I might get a little crazy and just try it. Um, and then when I get back to Iowa, I have everything ironed out. And I'm out the door running. I'm, I'm jumping right on like 200 inch bucks and 180s and stuff. So I want to have everything as, as polished as I possibly can when I'm hunting those world class deer. So that first like month in early states helps me out big time. It gets you revved up. And if you kill something early, I feel like that takes a lot of stress off of you. You already got one under your belt, or maybe you just decide to shoot a doe because some states. You know, you get a buck and a doe tag, and you're like, well, I'm just going to shoot this doe just to try out my new bow, or, y'all, this doe came in perfectly out of this bedding area was I set up and you smoke it. I mean, it just gives you a lot more confidence for me. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. I know you. we mentioned just through messaging and stuff like that, you plan on chasing some elk in the future. You know, what other hunts do you have you know, coming down the pipeline that maybe you would like to do or a dream hunt or something that you really uh, want to look forward to doing? I'd really like to go to Alaska and hunt moose or 
something like that would be awesome. I was talking to a buddy of mine about going and doing a DIY hunt in New Zealand. Wow, it's yeah. pretty cheap tags over there. He was kind of telling me that some of the tags are only like 80 bucks. So your biggest price is like the plane ticket. So, and I priced it like 1600 bucks just to fly there. And then you have a guy ferry you to this island and you go hunt and you just camp out there in New Zealand and take different animals around DIY. So it's something totally different. Um, I found out through actual uh, Facebook group, Finland has like a hundred thousand plus whitetail population. And this guy that's on this group goes out and hunts these whitetail bucks in Finland. So I thought that would be awesome just to go to a different country and hunt whitetails over there. I think that'd be awesome too. Um, I I hunt some other stuff too, like a turkey hunt. Uh, I've done a little bit of bear hunting. I used to, do a lot of like coyote stuff man i just like to hunt in general just everything so for me even some small game stuff i do a lot of pheasant hunting quail i love duck hunting sometimes when i'm hunting iowa and duck season comes in i'll actually uh hunt ducks i'll get up at like two in the morning go duck hunting until like 11 a.m and then i'll switch into my deer hunting gear and drive out and go deer hunting all (laughs) afternoon and repeat but that gets kind of brutal but it's, it's fun, and uh, I just like to go to different states to uh, meet up with guys you meet online. I think I have way more friends on, like, Instagram and Facebook. I talk to guys every day, and they're just, like, buddies that you'd hang out with at home, and you coordinate hunts with them and try to do stuff. And some of those guys do some oddball hunting. They might go out west and hunt different stuff. So... Whatever you get into, I'm up to anything. I just love to hunt, man. That's awesome, dude. Well, that sounds exciting, and you got a lot going on. And, man, I can't wait to see what what this year has in store for you. I mean, you just keep, seems like you're topping year after year, man, and it's just exciting to see what, what you got going on. And when we met in person uh, at the Teach and Train Tour event, man, you seemed as confident as ever. I mean, you know, that's awesome. And I'm excited to see what you're able to do and wish you the best of luck to it. Maybe what's one last thing that maybe you're trying out this year, any new pieces of gear, like you just mentioned, anything that you're going to try to test out this year at all? I was messing with this two stick system. Everybody's going to that one sticking deal and then they repel down. So I was, I was then messing with this two stick with a removable three-step aider and then having the repelling of capability so I can just repel out. But I don't like the idea of having the platform on the stick. I'd rather just put the predator on the tree because I got more room to move around. Yep. I got size 16 feet, so those little one-stick top platforms are a little bit small for me. So I could go, I can get 20 feet two sticks with a removable three-step aider, and then I put the Predator two feet above that. I can get 20 feet. So just having that versatility. And then if you're running a tethered one-stick or the Skeletor, you can actually one-stick with that Dynatab button. So if I needed to get higher, if I was hunting hill country and wanted to get up above the line of sight in like a wind tunnel, I could go 40 feet. So I carry like a traditional like 40 foot repel line to mad rock and stuff. But I've been messing with that a lot. I don't know to me getting really close to buck bedding. I don't want to be messing around with all the one sticking, all the movement reaching down below me. I think I'm just going to stick with what works. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I know. I keep, I like the idea of like repelling down like really fast, but I, I could just see the mess I, I would be like a bull in a china room going up that tree. I just know I would. So, hey, man, the the three sticks with an aider, you know, movable aider going up with me is perfectly fine. I feel really confident, efficient with it. So that's what yeah. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to stick with, man. And honestly, I'm hunting two sticks most of the time, like nine to twelve feet. I don't need to repel down. I could literally just jump out of the tree almost, you know. Yep. So I can just step right <laughs> right back down. I got a new. I got a new bow I'm going to try out this year. It'll fit me a little bit better. I got a 33-inch draw, so it's hard to find a bow that actually fits me. So um, a lot of guys 
suggested that Matthew Atlas bow, so I'm going to try that out this year. Um, just some different Aider options I'm trying out, too. Removable ones that are actually locked onto your legs or just removable that you can kick off and move up with you. Yeah. I'm just messing around with a bunch of stuff, but that'll be more out of state when I'm just when I go out of state, I just want to have fun and have a venture, and I don't really care about the size of the deer. I'm just going to shoot whatever I can when it comes in, because out of state hunting blind with no intel is really hard. So that's any buck's a trophy to me with a bow. So, yep. But I'm going to iron all that out before I get to Iowa and start chasing the big boys. Sweet man, dude, that sounds awesome. Well, Rendell, I appreciate you taking the time and talking hunting, and man, it just goes fast when when you enjoy the conversation and. You know, I, I'm, man, I'm really pumped out for, for you. You get a chance to start early in a couple of weeks. Hopefully you get, you know, you're successful in, uh, Nebraska, Missouri. And then obviously I hope coming those first couple of days in Iowa, man. So we'll be watching, following along and, uh, where could people, like you said, you like kind of interact w- with people on, online if they got questions and all that stuff. So where could people find you and how, uh, regarding that? Yeah, my name's uh, Rendell Eric. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I do have plans to launch a YouTube channel. I'm going to do like daily vlogs of all my hunts, setups and stuff. Even if I'm not successful or don't see anything, then I'll try to break down like why I think it failed or what I did wrong. I just want like real life stuff. I'll post things on my Facebook and Instagram to keep people in the loop. And if anybody has questions or anything, they can reach out to me. I'm more than willing to help people. I already help a bunch of guys already. They hit me up some other podcasts and I'm a teacher by trade. So I like to teach people, you know, how to hunt. It's my passion. That's what I live for. So I, and I appreciate you uh, wishing me good luck and everything. I hope you have a great season too. And I hope you get on, bucks of your dreams and you have a lot of success as well awesome man thank you rendell well everybody please check out rendell one of the top shelf dude like i said one of the guests that i've had the honor of actually meeting in person really awesome guy very genuine very smart articulate when it comes to his white-tailed deer is he Man, when I met him in person, when you've, you've mentioned it on the podcast too, a couple of times of that secondary food source. And I heard him talk to other people about certain stories about that. And man, it got, that was one thing that I walked away from Iowa with was I'm like, man, I got to start learning about some secondary food sources, about some mountain bucks and everything like that. So man, you like you said, you're, you love that education feature and that's what we're all about as well. So man, Rendell, I, I greatly appreciate you coming on. So thank you again, everybody. Thank you. Please check out Rendell. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this one till next week, everybody antler up.